0: To us, fires touchdown. Miami waddle snuck into the end zone. Of Miami boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play. They get it. What is up, Dolph fans and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. It's the offseason. We're rolling right along, and on today's show, the first round of the playoffs is a wrap. We'll look at some of the lessons we can take from the six wild card games across the National Football League and, of course, bring it back to our Miami Dolphins. We'll kick off the Top 5 Plays series, taking a look at individuals' top 5 plays of the season, as selected by me. We'll take a look at the quarterbacks headed to Mobile for the Senior Bowl as we kick off our Senior Bowl roster preview series. It's recommendation station time as I give you some of my favorite shows away from sports to watch this offseason. A busy podcast from somewhere in South Florida. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. So did everybody enjoy the Wild Card round of the NFL playoffs? You know, I thought we were going to get a bunch more great games. But really, we only got one—the Cowboys and Niners—and then one good quarter of a game. Thought Bengals and Raiders was kind of a rough watch until that fourth quarter. And I've seen the discourse about the seven seed versus the two seed, the need or not for it, all of that. Here's my take: I will always take more football. Like I thought, the seventeenth game was going to annoy me just because, and there's certain things that it does still annoy me with, the symmetry of the season, the four quarters, the eight games, halfway mark, 16 games, records, all that stuff I'm aware of, and it'll it'll shrink more and more as time goes along. It already has a significant amount, but I like six playoff games to kick off the wild card weekend. It makes the weekend more fun. More football is more fun for me, especially being on the East Coast, where the later the kickoffs are, the more you can kind of have a day and then have football in the evening, but I digress. You know, if there wasn't a game last night, I'm just watching the heat and then firing up something on Netflix or HBO Max or Amazon Prime or Apple TV or whatever it might be. And look, these blowouts haven't just been exclusive to that 2-7 game. That game has produced an entertaining affair one of the four times so far. Last year, the Colts and Bills kicked it off with a tight game that came right down to the last possession. So I think maybe wait for a larger sample size before drawing any sweeping conclusions there. But I mean, Cardinals and Rams was 4 5. That's literally supposed to be the closest matchup you can get. Then Patriots and Bills, that was 3 6. But I think the spread in that game was less than a field goal for the home team, which means the road team is technically favored. Now, the Bills in that game went out and pitched the first perfect game since Felix Hernandez posted all zeros against the Tampa Bay Rays back in 2012, which, of course, is the last perfect game to be thrown in the big leagues. And I hope it stays that way. Long live the King. Speaking of Josh Allen and the Bills, that's going to be one of my top things we learn from Wild Card Weekend. But I want to finish this point here real quick. What is better than playoff football? Seriously. I mean, we all live and die by every single play of every single regular season Dolphins game. I think that's what makes it so great in the postseason is that every single play this time of year can alter legacies and alter the way we remember history. And having so much on the line... Like I love the Heat these days and it's not easy for me to fall in love with the sports team. It usually has to occur naturally over a long period of time and many games and many casual games to get to that obsessive place. And that with my close proximity to the Heat and going to the games has really made me genuinely fall in love with that team that I've always hovered around because of Dwayne Wade fandom. All of this is a way of saying that whether it's Felix's perfect game, the Heat playing my exact preferred brand of basketball, which is very old man yells at the clouds, play strong team defense, ball distribution, and dominate and transition. Even all of that, none of it comes close to even a neutral playoff NFL game when I have zero rooting interest for the winner and loser. Like that Bengals and Raiders game, that fourth quarter, I I I mean, I don't care about either of those teams and who wins and who doesn't, but that fourth quarter with Derek Carr in his first playoff game and a 20-year drought for the organization against a Bengals team with a quarterback who tends to shine in big games going back to his last year at LSU and a 31-year drought of their own, how can you beat that? That's my point. Convoluted as it may have been, but next weekend, that's the best football weekend on the calendar. Each year, divisional round weekend. Every single matchup is a great one, if you ask me. Bengals and Titans, Bills and Chiefs might be for all the marbles there with Bills and Chiefs. I think those might be the top two teams right now. The Packers might have something to say about that, but that's kind of where I'm leaning towards. Then on the NFC side, you got Niners and Packers with you know two teams that know each other well, the coaching staffs that kind of came off that same very successful tree. And then we get the Bucks and Rams, which is a rematch of an earlier game this season. I'd be surprised if any of those games are more than three or four point spreads, with the exception maybe of the Niners and Packers, uh, because it's in Lambeau there. But how do we bring this all back to the Miami Dolphins? We're deep into the podcast now and have, haven't done that yet, so I apologize. But there's always a point. That's what we're doing on this show. I'm not normally really big on the whole What did we learn from this week of football segment or idea? Because I think the very nature of that segment is flawed since I don't think you learn anything from one game on an island most of the time. But I went ahead and extrapolated some things we saw continue as far as trends go over the wild card weekend. And we start with number one, and these are in no particular order, but number one is how critical management and discipline are and how they are just as important as actual execution. Now that might sound like a bridge too far, because Jimmy's and Joe's over X's and O's and all of that. Well, one of the many things that we fleshed out almost weekly on this podcast was the razor-thin margins in this league. Hell, the Raiders were 6-0 this year on walk-off-slash-overtime touchdowns or end-of-game situations, but you get to January and look what happened. The Raiders, the second most penalized team in the NFL in 2021, meets the second best team in terms of fewest penalty yardage assessed against them, and the Bengals find a way into the winner's circle in a game that saw the Raiders throwing the football into the end zone from goal-to-go distance, looking for a tie late in that game. Now, obviously, that could have put the Raiders in position to win, but the point is that the the management and discipline have such an impact on how those end-of-game-slash-kind-of-coin-flip situations play out where either team could take the game in the waning seconds. So you guys listened to the post-game show on 560 this season, I assume, me, Seth, and OJ. And we've con- kind of continued that radio program into our text chat this whole off offseason. It stays pretty busy most days. But we were kind of texting back and forth during the game on Saturday. And OJ told me and Seth, because me and Seth were both like, why did they clock that ball right there? And OJ said they run the clock play on first down to let the offense rest because the Raiders had come, you know, March the entire distance of the field and where they were going quick and quick and quick and many lots of reps and snaps and getting back to the line. So they were kind of winded a little bit, but I really didn't like wasting one of those final opportunities to throw the football into the end zone. Like I'd rather have four chances than three. You know, I get the point, but I think I'd like to have that extra play for the Raiders opposed to the little extra rest, just throw a fade and give everyone else a rest besides that one receiver. I don't know. That's that was my thought, but I get the point. Then the Dallas game, I mean, you've certainly seen the discourse there towards the end, and, and not to mention that the Dallas the Dallas Cowboys were the most penalized team this season, and how many killer penalties did they have late in that game? That Randy Gregory holding call in the running game, you just cannot have that. I don't think we're talking about the Dak draw play if the Cowboys aren't flagged for 14 penalties and 89 yards. Also, Tampa was down a bunch of players on offense. Tristan Wirfs went down. Chris Godwin was already out. We know about Antonio Brown. I think Ryan Jensen had to exit the game there. I don't know if he came back or not. I was doing something else at the time. And all the Bucks did was get Brady the quickest time to throw rate this season from next-gen stats. 2.1 seconds was the quickest of any quarterback to play a game this season. Also had his lowest average depth of target this season to counter the losses they endured. That is fantastic management and adjustment to the situation. Buffalo's offense became the resurgent juggernaut when Josh Allen began to run more, kind of the But that, that Tampa Bay game, when they kind of got things cranking late, he was doing plenty of work with his legs in that one. And that kind of continued for the rest of the season. So I guess, you know, to throw self-scouting in there too, but that's, that might be a bit of a departure from the overall point here, but discipline and game management, two super, super underrated elements of winning football magnified this time of year. And one of the many reasons where I was thinking about this earlier today, how, tough it is to predict things in this league from standings from who's going to win who's going to be successful as a coach or a quarterback or draft picks it's hard and a big reason it's hard is because there are so many microscopic under the radar things that we just don't focus on and management and discipline late in games I think are two of those big ones especially this time of year when you're playing pretty much strictly good football teams number two is that good offense typically beats good defense. And I want to get into this deeper later on. You know, it's certainly like an off-season research project type of deal. But just look at the results around the league this weekend in this game and really in recent memory. I mean, good defense will always have value. I'm not saying the contrary whatsoever. But when the unstoppable force meets the immovable object in 2022, this year, the unstoppable force prevails more often than not, I believe. Granted, the Bills' defense is also number one, but what they did to the number two defense, a perfect game without a field goal, turnover, or punt, which has never been done before. And the last time they faced New England and that Sterling number two defense, they didn't punt in that game either. Josh Allen's passer rating on Saturday was 0.7 points from perfect, 157.6. He threw more touchdown passes than incomplete passes, and he added 66 yards on the ground. I remember when I was scouting that 2020 draft class, which... Travis probably needs a referendum on that class. I remember scouting that class, and I so many of the quarterbacks would have days like that. Tua just threw five touchdown passes and only had three incompletions. Joe Burrow just had two incompletions and threw three, ta- like, every time it was happening. Josh Allen's doing that in the NFL in zero-degree temperature against the number two defense in the NFL. But the Bills, man, I, the Bills, them and the Chiefs, with their ability to flip a switch and put up 21 points in, what was that for Kansas City? The final six minutes of that first half, I just don't know how you can count on getting eight, nine, ten stops on an offense like that in 2022 with all the rules, with all the advantages they have. I don't know how you do it. The Cowboys had the seventh ranked defense, and the Niners' first four possessions of that game produced points. That set the tempo for the entire game, and the Cowboys never came back from that. The Cardinals had the 11th ranked defense coming into Monday night, and the Rams did whatever they wanted. Through the and on the ground. Stafford threw four incompletions, and the Rams rolled up a whole bunch of rushing yards. And they did it with Cooper Cup entering the fourth quarter with just 16 receiving yards because they went and got a secondary option like Odell Beckham when Robert Woods went down. And oh yeah, they have Van Jefferson and Tyler Higbee, and they got Cam Akers back. They traded for Sonny Michelle, and also have Daryl Henderson in the holster. And oh yeah, they sent a bunch of picks to the Lions for their quarterback as well. My point is offense, 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 and look where they are playing in the elite eight of the national football league. But back to that bill's quarterback. That's number three. Number three is how do we compete with Josh Allen? This is purely dolphin specific, more than a league wide slash sport wide observation. Seriously. How the hell do you beat Josh Allen? He lost his first start against Miami in 2018 but since then, he's 7-0 against the Dolphins. He's averaging, They're averaging rather, 32.4 points per game in those games and 250 passing yards and 19 passing touchdowns with 42 more yards on the ground per game and four total TDs. So it's just below 300 yards per game and three touchdowns per game when Josh Allen plays the Dolphins. And we're not the only ones he does that to. Look at the Patriots. <laughs> Patriots have been playing great defense for two decades and he just did something that no one's ever done before against that team. And how about some of these fun numbers I put together for y'all? Teams that have beaten Buffalo the last two seasons average 29.2 points per game when they do it. Now, cherry picking is not the best practice, but we can all agree, I think, that the wind game back in Buffalo in like week 14, whatever it was, when the Patriots passed the ball three times, that was a bit of an aberration, right? We can all agree with that. So remove that game. Without that game, over the nine losses the Bills have endured over the last two seasons, over 30 points per game scored by the opposition to beat Buffalo the last two seasons. Now, this one, I agree, is too much cherry-picking, but just for the interested parties, which is myself, remove the Patriots' win game and that Jacksonville debacle, which is clearly worth a mulligan to me. So over the eight losses suffered by the Bills in those last two years, opponents averaged 33.6 points per game to beat them. You gotta score. Let me know what you think about that theory. Get at me on Twitter and give me your thoughts at Wingfield NFL. We'll also do a mailbag either this week or sometime next. So keep an eye out for that. I want your offseason questions since I asked you guys to wait for the season to end when I got plenty of those questions after the Week 17 elimination and some of the questions you asked then. I appreciate the patience there. We're going to circle back now, though. So come back with me. Give me those questions on the Twitter mailbag. Let's go ahead and take our first break and then jump into the first iteration of a new segment here on the Drive Time Podcast brought to you by AutoNation. Players top five. We'll look at my top five plays from some of the individuals on the 2021 Miami Dolphins. That's next Drive Time Podcast, Travis Wingfield. Back here on the Drive Time Podcast brought to you by AutoNation. And Wildcard Weekend is in the books and so too is the 56th season in Miami Dolphins history. And with that, I wanted to continue to give credit to the accomplishments from this past season in addition to looking ahead at what's to come. And we'll do that by breaking down the top five plays of some of our youngins on the roster here. And we start... Well, since we're looking at the quarterback position on Senior Bowl roster today, we'll start there with Tua Tungavailoa and my top five plays from the Miami quarterback in 2021. And number five, Tua puts away the pats. Showing pressure. They got five men at the line of scrimmage. Here comes Judon off the edge. Tungavailoa steps up. He's going to tuck it away. Tua goes down. Miami 156 to play, leading by three. Patriots have two timeouts left. It's third and eight from the minus 42-yard line. A failure to convert there gives the Patriots more than enough time to get into range for the tying field goal. But Tango says, not so fast, my friends. The coverage is good, and the pressure gets in despite the four-man rush off a six-man pressure look with two backing out and New England's playing coverage that we were so successful with all year with no deep safety and coverage off at the sticks in man match. Nothing there. Tua hits a deep drop, and the thing I like the most is you see how light he can be on his feet as he hitches up Climbs past the initial wave of rushers, sees the interior of the pocket collapse, makes a move to get wide, avoids the sack 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage, and then takes off and gets past a potential tackler who would have gotten him down short of the sticks as he lunges ahead for a game-clinching first down because after exhausting the clock, Miami pins New England at the one-yard line with enough time for one play, and Miami scored a touchdown on the Sam Eguivon fumble recovery and touchdown. So total game sealer inside of the same quarter where he did almost the exact same thing running the other way out the left side of the pocket and putting a move on Kyle Van Noy, which forced him to kind of clap his hands in disgust for a 23-yard pickup on third and nine. That one with the legs, this next one here came through the air as Tua airs one out for Mac. Tua eluding the pressure and going deep down the sideline he has a man over and he's got it 10 5 and pushed out of bounds is Matt Holland no he's ruled a touchdown he did not go out of bounds and it is a 65 yard touchdown on a second down and one in a tie game with 9 15 to play in the third quarter as pressure comes off to his right, immediately forcing him to get off the spot. He finds a vacancy in the pocket to his left, climbs up, loads up, and shoots one to Hollins as the Jets bust a coverage with two defenders closing down on Burt in the flat. Tua puts it high and wide, and Mac runs right underneath it and finishes with good balance up the sideline 4-6. He did stay in bounds for the touchdown. And it was the second time in as many games that Tua set career-longs for air distance on completions. 52.3 yards were here after finding Waddle the previous week for 45.8 air yards in the Baltimore win. Speaking of airing it out, that's what happened on number 3 as Tua gets vertical on another division rival up in Buffalo. Fourth to- down. Fourth and six with 10.30 to play in a 17-3 game. Ball at the plus 44 yard line. Buffalo has 10 guys all up on the line with one post safety back deep. And they back out and bring just four. Tua hitches up and gets away from the immediate pressure off his right side once again. A Buffalo linebacker has eyes on him to close down on him as he approaches the line of scrimmage. So no running lane there. And then he resets on the move and grooves a perfectly placed ball over the top to Mike Gasicki, who had gotten on top of his man. It's a 40-yard gain on 4th and six to really help the Dolphins stay alive in that 14-point game. 30 air yards, perfect touch. Drive would end in a touchdown and 2-pointer a few plays later to make it a 6-point game with just under 9.30 to play on the road up in Buffalo the Dolphins defense got a third down and long on that next series and couldn't get off the field so that was kind of the beginning of the turnaround there and that big play to Mike Kosicki I thought really sparked it for the Dolphins offense we've hit some long passes on this list how about a shorter even more impressive one is number two Tua threads the needle to Waddle for six. Third and goal Tua fires in the end zone catch at the goal line Jalen Waddle has a Attacked by Loa and Waddle held on. Third and goal from the nine in the week 12 victory over the Panthers against the number two pass defense in the NFL. Condensed portion of the field to the boundary there. You got to be on time and you got to be on target to win in this area down in the red zone with no threat of the run given the down and distance. You're not going to run the ball in third and nine. Waddle's part of a three-man route combo to the field, but that's where the ball was always going. Waddle runs a hookup right at the goal line, and the ball is out before Waddle has even turned back to the quarterback. There's a trio of Panthers defenders there, but the ball beats them all and sticks right between the one and the seven, up high and away from danger, so he can go up and get that thing. Throwing the ball before the receiver even makes his move makes it awfully hard for the defensive back to drive and make a play as the Dolphins pay off a pick from Xavier Howard on the Panthers' previous drive. Our top play goes back up top to the vertical game and one week prior against the Jets as Tua finds Devontae to jumpstart the offense and sweep New York. Start of the second quarter. 10-0 Jets first down. Miami. Tua cool. gonna crank it up down the sideline. It is caught by Devontae Parker. Out of bounds at about the two. Listen, they're just gonna take Parker and they're gonna isolate him on the safety and hit the corner route. And Tua has the protection. He sees it's one on one coverage, isolated. That's a mismatch. Elijah Riley playing inside and fits it perfectly in the side pocket. And it's a 37-yard strike on that corner route to Devontae Parker, trailing 10-zip at the start of the second quarter. And I just thought this play really exemplified all that Tua brings to the table. Parker's in a condensed split right at the numbers to the boundary. Burt motions from nasty trips alignment in tight to the formation to the other side of the field over to the boundary and occupies the cloud corner to the boundary. You heard the color commentator there talk about how they got Parker on the safety. That motion man came over and pulled that corner back down underneath to create that window because of Tua's eyes and body positioning. As Parker gets a free release against this zone look that looks to me more like a two match, like, cover two with match and that cloud corner is getting depth off of the flat Tua gets his eyes over to Albert and his body squared up to the flat and that corner takes one step up and that gives Parker the outside leverage there on Elijah Riley on their safety Tua throws it away on the outside so Parker can kind of keep that safety stacked and go get it which is what he does high level quarterback play and an absolute dime. So those were my top five. Number five was the scramble to put, put away the New England Patriots in week 18. Number four, Tua airs it out for Mac against the Jets. Number three, the conversion against Buffalo to get that game back to within one touchdown. Number two, Tua threads the needle to waddle for six to put seven on the board against Carolina. And number one, Tua finds Devontae Parker on a 37-yard corner route to help sweep the Jets. I had seven of them that I couldn't decide on, so honorable mention goes to the 40-yard dime to Mac Hollins at New Orleans to, again, help the offense get going and score their first touchdown of that game. Backed up at their own 15-yard line, third and long, punting back to the Saints in a one-score game if you don't get that first down, but he drops it right in the bucket to Mac for 40 yards to jumpstart the sluggish offense. And then actually, number seven, also we'll go ahead and talk about the shot to Waddle in the Baltimore game was a massive and gorgeous throw. All right. That's your top five for Tua. We'll continue doing that as the podcast goes along here for other players on the roster. And the Senior Bowl is right around the corner. Let's get into these rosters and start at the quarterback position. But first, real quick, right before we do that, a short break. Back here on the Drive Time podcast, we're going to kick this thing off here with the Senior Bowl roster preview series, taking a look at the quarterbacks that will descend upon Mobile for this week of practice in a game on Saturday February the second in Mobile at Lad People Stadium. I think they actually changed stadiums this year. But anyway, it's in Mobile. And we're gonna start here with the Jets and Lions coaching the national and American teams respectively. And before we jump in, just a real quick disclaimer that this is a rough draft version of each player having seen them. A handful of times, and obviously the more experienced quarterbacks, another handful of times over the course of multiple years starting. But each profile will kind of expand through the process. Let's go ahead and kick this off, though, with the senior bull roster and the quarterbacks. And the American quarterbacks start with Malik Willis, who once tested a 4-3, yard dash in college. And, man, he's a major factor in every part of the Liberty Run game, whether it was quarterback lead, power, zone read, sweep. Whatever the case may have been, option game, scramble ability, he was part of it. And his start-stop ability is absolutely electric as a runner, a true threat to score each time the ball is in his hands, and his arm matches that level of electricity in terms of overall ability. He has the tools that you want. He can generate significant drive and velocity when his feet are not set or he's falling away from his target. He's a very, very impressive ball of clay. And the process, I think here, as you run up through Senior Bowl, through Combine, through Pro Days, I think could really benefit him if he checks checks the boxes along the way to kind of help fill out that physical prowess profile he already currently possesses. He might need some time to develop in this league, which I don't know if that's possible anymore these days, but there are plenty of examples of see it, then throw it type of stuff in his game. And I think he'll need some development in that area, as all quarterbacks do. Sam Howell from University of North Carolina. He is agile, athletic, dual threat quarterback who factors in both as a design runner and off schedule slash broken pocket scrambles. He loves to hit the top of the drop and see a rush lane and get after it. So if you drop guys into coverage and play man, he loves to exploit those. And he's got a baseball background, which is very evident by the way he throws the football sometimes, where he can sometimes alter his arm slots and create torque and velocity by kind of dropping the arm angle and going to more of like a slingshot type of action, opposed to a true over-the-top release. He does have the -the over-the-top release when it's in pocket and kind of in rhythm. He's a nice mix of tools as a passer. I love those baseball backgrounds in quarterbacks. As far as what else I saw on tape, I thought there's some times where he can kind of drop his eyes and bail on clean pockets under pressure. But those are things that, you know, you find out if they can work on them and get better at them and improving them. All these quarterbacks are going to have things that they can get better at. It's so tough to predict who will and who will not. Finishing up that that roster, the American quarterbacks, Bailey Zapp from Western Kentucky. Admittedly, haven't seen a whole lot. I did see his Boca Raton Bowl when he went absolutely nanners, as he did all year long, as he shattered college football records for passing yards and touchdowns 5,977 and 62. We'll get an up-close look at him and Mobile here in a couple of weeks. On the national side, Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati has a long profile. Plenty of tape to go back and look at in terms of freshman year to senior year starting quarterback there for the Bearcats. Ideal size, arm, mobility, winning pedigree for a college prospect who has took a group of five team to the college football playoff. And his experience, I think, is evident when you watch him stand tall in the pocket without fear. To take those shots while delivering the accurate football down the field. Definitely a veteran quarterback in that sense. He's also well-versed in the most popular elements of the college game, right? RPO, quarterback on the move, rolling pockets, factoring into the running game as well. I think he needs to clean up some consistency and better play from murky pockets, which we know is a norm in the National Football League. Carson Strong from Nevada, huge arm. I think part of the Uh, Part of their vertical game they built there on air raid principles at Nevada were built off of what Carson Strong can do in the vertical game. They would go empty, and he would control that short menu of passes they have and plays in the air raid system, and it made for a very high-volume passing attack. He's a pocket passer who will be best when he can hit the top of that seven-step drop, hitch up in a clean pocket, and push the ball vertically down the field. I also thought there was very limited mobility and ability to get to off-platform throws in his game. Uh, but he can definitely push the ball down the field from clean pockets, and he'll play in this um, senior bowl here coming up. Kenny Pickett from Pitt. I think this guy might be QB one right now. We'll see, I, you know, I, I'm fascinated by Malik Willis, but he was a downfield passing assassin this year. He really developed a rapport on the deep ball with the loaded Pittsburgh wide receiver group. He's a gamer a fiery competitor who shows plenty of emotion. And I thought his teammates at Pitt really fed off of his energy there. And I think you kind of saw that develop over time. He's another one of these quarterbacks that has plenty of reps in this year's class. And one thing I like most about him is the eyes and the feet are hardwired, hardwired in terms of how he gets through his progressions. You know, eyes go one direction, the feet fall so you can be in a position to throw and attack when you see it. And he showed that confidence with the way he threw in rhythm and really didn't second guess himself a whole lot there. There's, There's plenty of aggressiveness in his game. There's aggressiveness in the way he runs the football, which there is some running ability like we saw in that ACC championship game when he did the fake slide and then ran in for a touchdown and actually changed the rules in college football. So again, probably QB1 for most folks, though I think, again, Malik Willis is going to have a big much to say about that in this year's upcoming class. But Pickett's 2021 was tremendous. It was also a big jump in production for him, though. So if he can continue to progress at that level and iron out some of the Big risk, big reward element of his game. I think he should be able to develop into a starting quarterback at the next level. And then Matt Corral from Ole Miss was invited, but he was injured in his bowl game. want to go ahead and finish up here with some non-football stuff, as we do occasionally here in the offseason. And I've watched a lot of TV with the absence of a Dolphins game or game previews to work on or the stuff that we haven't done in the first week of the off-season that was part of the regular season menu. And one of those shows was Ted Lasso. And I wanted to give my thoughts on that because I told myself I wasn't going to watch the second season because I did not like at all the first season. But I watched the second season anyway and I don't think it's growing on me. I just think it's like one of those shows that I couldn't turn off. I still don't think it's good. I know I'm very much alone on that. But I did love Sam Richardson's appearance at the very end. The, uh, The owner that wanted to buy... I think his name was his name, Sam. I think the soccer player's name was Sam that he wanted to buy uh, his his contract to bring him down and play for the team that he was purchasing. And when he freaked out, when he found out he wasn't going to be leaving, spoiler alert, there's gonna be spoiler alerts here, I should say, when he found out that the player wasn't going to leave and come with him, he attacked the mannequin. I thought that whole thing was funny, the the immaturity he showed. Other than that, I, I just I don't think it's that good. But Sam Richardson, also in The Detroiters, and I think you should leave with Tim Robinson, has a, t- a show coming up on Apple called The After Party. I think that one looks tremendous. It's a limited TV series from Apple TV, and it's about friends at a high school reunion party, or after party, I should say, that leads to a death and an investigation into said death. And it's a loaded cast with Richardson, Tiffany Haddish, Ben Schwartz, Dave Franco, Zoe Chow, Ike Barinholtz, Ilana glazer It comes out on January 28th, so check that out. And speaking of Apple TV, have you guys seen The Therapist Next Door? Me and my wife have two episodes to go on this, and its teeth are officially hooked in us because it's based on a true story about a therapist-slash-patient relationship where the therapist is essentially a greasy scam artist who sees a vulnerable person with lots of money and takes advantage of him for decades, like it expands multiple decades. It's really crazy, and Paul Rudd crushes it as said greasy scam artist, and Will Ferrell nails the socially awkward trust fund kid role. Check that out. This isn't a show, but also on Apple TV, and I haven't built up the courage to watch it yet, but I am really curious to watch Swan Song, starring Mahershala Ali. It's about a man with a terminal disease who is opting to transfer his consciousness into a clone of himself so his family can have their husband and father after he's gone. I want to watch it, but I'm trying to mentally prepare myself because for whatever reason, you know, since having Caroline, mortality and how it affects family has just a different level of emotional impact on me, and I'm not ready for it yet. Now, HBO continues to bring it, and if you didn't catch the latest season of Curb Your Enthusiasm, rectify that, then pivot over to one of the better recent comedies in The Righteous Gemstones. Now, if you're turned off by Danny McBride, you know, Kenny Powers, that guy, that's okay, I think he's tremendous, but there's more to it than just the Kenny Powers attitude, which, by the way, I know he always plays that character, but it's still hilarious to me every time. And definitely check out The Righteous Gemstones. It's about a family that operates a mega church and then someone tries to blackmail the son, Danny McBride, for a big payday. And then finally, I'm through the first season of Succession. I thought that really picked up towards the end. And I heard season two is one of the greatest seasons in television history. So I'm very excited to check that out. But so far, I gotta say... None of these characters have any redeeming qualities, which has me skeptical. So kind of a weird feeling there, but that's my recommendations. Loving all these shows Love all the options we have. Check those out. Let me know what you think on Twitter at wingfield NFL going forward. We have senior bowl coverage coming your way as we continue right up into the combine, the draft, all that fun stuff. We'll do some more mailbags here. We'll cover the coaching search and all the off season moves. In the meantime, that is going to be my time. You all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple podcast, Leave us a rating, leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast Seth and OJ had Larry Chester on on Tuesday. You don't want to miss that. Check out the YouTube channel for Dolphins today. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com for the latest on your Miami Dolphins. Until next time, fins up. Caroline, daddy's already home.